certainly less than four hours is not a problem. Six hours, you know, as that time just starts to increase, the more opportunity you have for deterioration. Um, but as, as you get into, you know, six, eight, 10, 12, you know, that's when you start to get, you know, into that, the opportunity to have more, you know, the potential for, for bacterial growth within that meat. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and with deer seasons now kicking off across a lot of states, we thought this would be a great time to get on Dr. Martin Bucknavage with Penn State University's Department of Food Science to talk all about venison handling, uh, particularly in, in these warm weather situations that a lot of us are faced with during the early season. Uh, we even get into a discussion on aging venison and uh, jerky preparation and even uh, talked a good bit about canning venison, which is something that uh, kind of piqued my interest, uh, something I'd like to try this season. So I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this week's episode, so be sure to stick around with our interview with Martin before we get him on the phone, though, I do need to mention that this week's episode is brought to you by longtime NDA partners, Bass Pro Shops, and Cabela's. Hey, again, deer season started for some of us. Uh, for everybody else, it's just right around the corner. So there's no better place than Bass Pro and Cabela's to kind of knock out that shopping list before opening day. And I know they're having a lot of great sales this time of year. So be sure to uh, either head out to your local store or... Or you can shop online in the comfort of your home at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. And one other thing before we get into the interview. Um, first, just, just thanks to all of you who are listening You know, every week and downloading episodes of our NDA podcasts. Uh, this one as well as our, our Coffee and Deer podcast. We definitely appreciate that support. Uh, for those listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you're using that app on your Apple iPhone, uh, hey, I just ask that you take just a second and drop us a five-star rating on the app. Uh, if you have time, write us up a little written review. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. And those, those ratings and reviews kind of help us climb the podcast charts so that more deer hunters like yourself can discover these, these NDA podcasts uh, and listen to them, check them out. So any help you can give us in that area would be greatly appreciated. And hey, no matter what platform you're listening to the podcast on, the absolute best way you can help support uh, the podcast and the NDA is by sharing those episodes with your, your hunting friends and family. So again, uh, we appreciate any support you can give us in that. Uh, and and uh, we, just, we just appreciate every one of you who are taking time to listen to these episodes. But hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. With that, we're going to jump right on the phone here again with Dr. Martin Bucknavage to talk all about venison handling in warm weather. Hey, Martin, before we dive into some of the, the best practices for venison handling in, in warm weather situations, uh, can you first tell us a, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do there at Penn State University? Sure. Thanks, Brian. And thanks for having me on, on this podcast. Uh, my name is Martin Bucknavich, and I'm based here at University Park, uh, Penn State, and I am the Food Safety Extension Associate. So in my role, we do a lot of work with the processing and handling of food from the time it's harvested all the way through, you know, the time it's consumed. And that involves everything from 
you know, from r- food that you buy from the, in the supermarket to, you know, to a lot of the stuff that people do at home, home food preservation, and including, you know, wild game uh, preparation and handling. And so, you know, in, in our role for the last so many years, we've done a lot of, we've done workshops in the past with, with uh, game, uh, with COVID that it's come up. Unfortunately, we've, we've not had the opportunity to do much of it, but it's always great to talk about, you know, the safe handling of, of, uh, of game eats and, and how to go through and do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's something uh, there, there seems to be, I guess, a lot of different information out there, uh, some confusion about, you know, what, what's safe and what's not and and how long a deer can, can be out there before it's, you know, safe to, to um, use the meat and and that kind of stuff. So I just thought it, this would be a great opportunity with deer seasons opening up across the country to get you on here and and talk more about that and, and uh, you know, kind of, educate our listeners on these safe handling practices because obviously it's very important you're out there you know procuring uh this protein source this this food for your family you definitely want to make sure you know you handle it safely and that it's uh it's safe to eat when you serve it so yeah absolutely you know and i think one of the challenges certainly is is uh, you know as we've seen over over the last decade is the temperatures you know, have gotten warmer. And as we get into, you know, into deer season, you know, the weather that we, we encounter is going to be a lot warmer. Maybe it had been, you know, years ago. And it really puts a lot of, uh, yeah, I'll say just a little bit of extra pressure on, on somebody when they shoot a deer to make sure that they get it handled in a way that it's not going to start to deteriorate. And certainly you go through all the effort of, of going out and getting, pre- pre- you know, prepared to hunt and and going out there and spending the time to, you know, to, to harvest a deer, you know, at that point, you just want to make sure that you can get it all the way through to the end where you can actually consume it. And so, you know, as these temperatures are, are higher, we always have to kind of keep that in mind as, as we're going out and we are hunting uh, and, and we have the opportunity to take down a deer. Uh, that we, you know, the, A couple of the keys really is just is, is getting it, you know, getting it cold or keeping it cold and getting it processed, you know, fairly quickly. Uh, you know, a couple of the keys here. One is, you know, when the temperatures are above 40, you know, the product, you know, people always say, well, it's, it's aging. Well, when it's over 40, you know, you start to get a lot of deterioration of the meat, you know, and you also have the opportunity for pathogen growth. And, you know, those, those are two things that we, you know, we really want to prevent, you know, the deterioration of the meat, deterioration of the meat and any kind of growth opportunity for pathogen growth. So, you know, getting that product, getting that uh, that that carcass cold, uh, you know, is is important, or at least getting it processed pretty quickly. Uh, in terms of, you know, from the time you shoot it till the time it, it uh, you know, gets it processed into into smaller cuts that will will cool faster. You know, and so some, you know, I think some keys here is the fact that you know, of course, getting it field dressed right away uh, and, and out there. One of the things that we don't want to do, though, is we don't want to necessarily. And I've seen some people talk about, well, you know, I'll throw it in a stream or something because the stream is colder. You know, that makes it worse because now you've, you know, you, you introduced a lot of water into the product, and and again, that's going to hasten uh, or quicken the deterioration of the, of the meat. So, you know, some things you could do is, you know, is to have a cooler of ice in your in your truck, you know, and and have some bags. And so when you get you know you get a deer, you can, you could shove the bags of ice 
especially on a warm day, you know, get it in, you know, field dress it, you know, get the bags of ice, you know, into the, into the carcass and, and let that, that cooling begin. Um, you know, certainly not, <laughs> not doing anything crazy, right. Putting your, a hot trunk or inside of a hot car or whatever, you know, and, and it certainly it's a case if, if you've got a long drive ahead of you, uh, maybe, or if you're hunting with others and they're out there still, you know, and you, you know, you've already, you know, you've shot your deer and you've got it ready to go. And, you know, it's warm outside and you're waiting for all of your, you know, your, 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 your buddies to come along, you know, so you have to think about these things. And I think, you know, again, just taking some precautions there, you know, getting it, you know, getting it cooled down, you know, maybe through the use of ice, um, you know, if you can, you know, getting it to a, you know, a facility that can process it, um, you know, quickly. Before we get too far down that road of, uh, of all the, you know, the handling side sure. of it. Um, could you first kind of touch on, I guess, what is, what what's happening biologically from the time you shoot this deer to the time you recover it that, that can make, you know, this, this meat unfit to eat. Can you kind of talk yeah, us through yeah, that so, part so of it? You, yeah. You have a lot of natural processes that occur within the, you know, within the animal itself and the breakdown of the tissue. And then of course you have the microbial breakdown, the microbial uh, degradation of the product. So you have these, these couple of these factors that are, are going on in, in colder temperatures, it, the process is slowed down a bit and you're not going to get, you know, a rapid proliferation of bacteria uh, you know, in on that meat. Uh, but as the temperatures get higher, you know, and again, you've got a carcass that is already warm, you know, those processes start to to increase dramatically. Uh, and especially if it's warm and you're not, you're not cooling it down, you know, you can start to get spoilage of that meat where it starts to get sour, essentially. Um, and, and, and even worse as, as it starts to, you know, as that process goes along, uh, within, within that meat. Okay. So, so this is bacteria that's, that's developing on the meat. Is, is it naturally occurring on the deer or? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, a lot of this, like a lot of the bacteria are going to be naturally inherent within, you know, when you cut the animal open, you're going to be transferring bacteria into the internal parts of the, of the meat. Um, certainly if, if, you know, if you have any kind of nicks or anything, uh, within the intestines and stuff that adds a lot of bacteria uh, into that. So, you know, these bacteria are, are going to be, especially, you know, you're out, you're out, you're outdoors, right? You got all this, you know, all this bacteria growing around on, you know, it, you know, out there in, in the good, great outdoors, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, just a lot of, a lot of sources of contamination that, that could potentially be there. Um, and that, that, that basically hasten this, uh, this deterioration of the meat. Okay. And what you've already mentioned, obviously, temperature there is a is a big factor on kind of how quickly this all takes place. Um, any other factors that, that kind of play into that process? Yeah, yeah, moisture is another factor that's really important. As I said, you know, making sure you 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 dry out the the carcass. You know, if you've got excess of moisture in there, um, you know, that could be problematic because again, it it it, it allows those back that bacteria to grow. It gives you that. It may seem basically a matrix where you have the, the meat protein and then you have moisture there that allow it to grow. Uh, so that's another factor that you're you're trying to make sure that you're not overly, you know, getting it overly wet. So not taking, like say, as I said, you know, taking bagged ice instead of just, you know, loose ice or 
or snow and just throwing it in there, you're adding a lot of a lot of moisture into that into that product, and it helps to one a the, allows the bacteria to grow, but it also helps to spread that bacteria because of that um, because of that moisture that's there. Okay, gotcha. And then what what about I guess shot placement? How does that impact how quickly this is going to take place? Oh, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, sure. You know, anything, you know, certainly a gut shot is, is going to be, you know, have a big impact on it because you're going to release a lot of bacteria or, you know, into that, you know, into that carcass, um, you know, into the, you know, in the inside of that and release a lot of that, which was, is you know, it's going to, again, help to cause deterioration. But certainly any, any place that you shoot the deer, you know, that, that starts to affect the tissue, it, it adds, you know, it allows the bacteria to get in there. And so certainly trying to handle that, you know, in those types of areas quickly to, to get removed, some of that uh, will be very helpful. Gotcha. Any other, any other organs that are kind of, obviously, like you said, the guts, uh, the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, that's probably um, the biggest thing, you know, yeah, I'm not going to get into the, you know, certainly when somebody goes in there is certainly doing a, a uh, you know, doing a, a, an organ check, you know, you know, for TB and things like that with the lungs and things like that is, is always important. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert from that, you know, perspective, but it's always important to do to make sure that, you know, all of the organs look right, you know, that they're not having, there's not any kind of issues with them, you know, as you look at them, you know, where there's some, some types of, you know, uh, growth that shouldn't be there. Uh, I think is always an important thing to do. Um, but from a, from a, you know, from a biological deterioration perspective, certainly anything that's that's in and around the the digestive tract from the stomach, you know, all the way down through to the anus, you know, making sure that that, you know, you're maintaining the integrity of that as best you can. And when you can't, you know, to to, to go through and try to clean that up as best you can. Okay. What what about the liver, the liver shot? Is there, a, is that going to produce well, a, a lot of bacteria as well? Or Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I, I, not really that, that I know of, um, you know, I'm not a, a physio, uh, animal physiologist, so I don't really know like the impact of that. You know, I know more of the, the, the big heavy hitters, right? Like, right. Yeah. Like the intestine stuff, but the liver, I'm not really sure about to be honest with you. Okay. Well, is there uh, kind of thinking, you know, before you ever get out there and make that shot or even, you know, get out there on the hunt, Anything we can do to to kind of prepare ourselves, particularly in warm weather situations. Now, like you already suggested, you know, having that that cooler with bags of ice on hand, I think that's yeah, great. Yeah. Especially when, um, it's, when it's warm outside, um, you know, I think having some kind of, uh, of cloth, you know, a lot of times people will use like a cheesecloth or something like that that's clean where they can go through after they after they field dress that to wipe out, you know, wipe out the, the, the you know, the material. You know, something to bind up the uh, the anus so that you're not getting any kind of leakage from that. Uh, so there's they make some you know specific tools that you can use for that, but you can use you know rubber bands or whatever to help you know close that off. Certainly having a just a really good sharp knife um, available so that you can make good clean cuts uh, in, in in that carcass is is you know is also key. Um, plastic gloves, of course, you know, making sure you protect your hands and, and such from, you know, from the, cause we have to think about the fact that this, you know, when you're going through and cutting this animal open, 
you know, again, a lot of times these these or these animals can carry different pathogens naturally, right? So things like salmonella or uh, pathogenic E. coli can be carried by them. So you know, wearing a pair, of, you know, good, you know, having a good pair of, of rubber gloves, you know, like a nitrile gloves that aren't going to tear open. Uh, and you know, I like to have mine up. <laughs> they go up a little bit higher, you know, so you don't get the blood on your upper arms or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so things like that. Um, you know, having some way to, you know, help to, to, to field dress that is, is always helpful. Some people carry a rope or whatever, uh, where they can tie it up and, and, you know, get it hung and, and make the, make the whole process a lot, a lot easier. And then, you know, again, people like, and I'm, I, you know, again, I don't, you don't want to use a lot of water, but having, you know, like a gallon of clean potable water that once you go through and field dress it, you could just take some of that water, you know, and just pour it on the inside, rinse it. And then of course, taking that cloth then, you know, and then drying that out, um, you know, again, very helpful, getting rid of a lot of that bacteria, any type of that contamination from the inside. Uh, again, it's going to help to maintain the integrity of that meat product. Okay, great. Good, good information there. Um, okay. So obviously, you know, when we were talking about deer, deer seasons are opening in a lot of States. In fact, South Carolina is already open and of course it's, it's plenty warm in South Carolina. And, uh, by the time this airs, actually we'll, the Georgia where I live here will be open as well. And it can be very warm in that early season. You know, it's nothing to, to be in the, the upper eighties and, and even lower nineties. Sometimes if I go out there and I, I, I shoot a deer on a 85 degree evening, you know, how much time do I really have to, to recover that deer before you know, things start going bad. You know, that's always, always a hard question, uh, you know, answer. I think, you know, the sooner the better, you know, you, if you're looking, you know, if, you know, certainly less than four hours is not a problem. Six hours, you know, as that time starts to increase, the more opportunity you have for deterioration. So, you know, less than four hours is, is not going to be, uh, you know, not a thing. Um, but as, as you get into, you know, six, eight, 10, 12, you know, that's when you start to get, you know, into that, the opportunity to have more, you know, the potential for, for bacterial growth within that, you know, within that, you know, within that, within that meat. So, um, generally I think they say within, you know, you normally want to get it within 12 hours or less than 12 hours, you know, and, um, kind of like that, that deadline, I guess, if you had to put it. Right. If you didn't get find your deer and it's like you got to go back and it's warm outside and it's like the next day, you, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate, but it's it's then you start to put yourself in, at risk. So. Right. Right. Absolutely. That does does when the deer actually dies, does that factor into it? I mean, if, if I make a bad shot on one and and maybe he doesn't actually die for eight hours. <laughs> And I find him, you know, 10 yeah, hours later. That's always hard to know, right? If you don't find him, you don't know exactly when he died, right? right. So, so it's always that, hard to know. It's always hard to know that. Do, does that factor into the bacteria absolutely, development? Absolutely. It depends on how bad he was shot. And, you know, you're always worried about the thing that you're always worried about is um, uh, septicemia, which is an infection in the, in, within the blood system of the animal. You know, and then, you know, when you have something that's shot and, and if septis does set in, I mean, that animal could be a wife, but it could be very a very very sick animal. So, you know, again, it's just it's just a lot of risk that you don't necessarily want to have to take or try to guess, right? You're like, is it good or is it not good? Um, 
Yeah, you know, you just you just don't want to be making that, having to try to make that call. Right, right. At at what temperature is it safe to, you know, say I shoot one late in the evening. It's a cooler, cooler day. You know, I'm not talking about September now, maybe a little later in the season. At what temperature, you know, outside temperature, is it safe to say, okay, I'm I'm going to let that one lay overnight and, and recover yeah, in the morning? Generally less than 40. Okay. I mean, less than 40 is kind of the, that set point. But, you know, even then, if, if, if you do that, you know, you, yeah, yeah. I say that, but on the other side of the coin, you know, that carcass is still going to be warm. And you, you still have to think about that. The fact that that carcass is going to be, you know, sitting out there. Um, so, you know, I still, uh, generally, again, they say within four, 12 hours is kind of like that time limit that they set for that, you know, because it's, it's not like you to know for sure that the internal temperature of that, and especially if you, if you, you know, you got shot an animal. And, uh, you know, that, that's still going to start to deteriorate, you know, even though if it's cold outside, you can get a lot of like, like a fermentation going on within that, the intestinal, you know, within the cavity of that, of that animal. Right. Right. So, and the animal, like you said earlier, the animal may be alive for several hours. So his, his temperature is yeah, going to be up and way up there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you just like, you know, you, you, you can't really, so you can't over guess it right and try to think oh well maybe it's you know it's really cold out and i'll let it lay there and then you find it the next day um you know you know that as time goes on that 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 is going to keep working within there you know if you can get a you know even like in a compost pile like in the winter time right you put stuff out there it, it continues to heat up even though it's really cold outside so just knowing that it's cold outside doesn't give you that you know, sort of like it's like freezing out would, you know, like, like if you're up in Alaska, well, that may be a little different perhaps. Right. But for the most part, we would, we would say, you know, 12 hours is kind of like that, you know, is that, is that window when we'd want to make sure that we, you know, take care of it. Okay. Well, I guess let's talk about that. We, you know, you obviously there's a lot of variables that play there to, to how long a deer can, can be out there before, you know, the meat starts to spoil. So how do we know, you know, what, what, let's say we've located a deer and it's been out there kind of that borderline, you know, maybe it's been out there eight hours or 10 hours and it's been a little warm. Is there any, what kind of signs, I guess, can we look for on the meat? Well, that's I think say, yeah. Any kind of off odors, any kind of, you know, anything that looks out of the ordinary, you know, you always want to take precautions with that. You know, if it looks like, if it doesn't look right, you know, it's you know it has a you know just a horrid smell it has you know and you got to look at the situation and, and make a judgment on that um you know and then just just always err on the side of caution i guess you know and um i mean that, that would be our recommendation okay so just smell it, it like you said if it looks off color or, oh yeah absolutely yeah. You know, you're looking at the deer making sure the deer is like so one of the things that you know is, is the deer dies and, and it's been there for a while you know you don't get the a good look at, at what the deer looks like and and certainly these times that we always want to make sure that the, the you know it's a healthy deer you know you don't want to be eating something that's not hasn't been healthy and sitting there or laying there for a long time or if it's all marred up you know you just don't, you're not going to be able to get the indicators that you need to look at as, as you could have, if the deer was freshly killed, you know? So you, again, you just want to 
I always want to be cautious. I think with this, with that. What, what about flies? If, if flies are on it and they've already found yeah. it, is that is that a pretty yeah, good I mean, sign? That's certainly, that's certainly going to increase. So, so again, I think we're staying, staying within the same thing. Again, that's another source of contamination that's going to be there. Uh, certainly, in the, if the weather's warmer, you're going to have the flies, and they're not helping. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but you not know, necessarily, I guess, just, just some yeah, flies just, being just on it. Just the fact of being there is not, yeah, okay. it's not going to be a thing. So, again, you know, when you get the deer cleaning up the, the wound, you know, cleaning up, getting the, it, it, it cleaned out, um, will we'll take care of any kind of, should take care of any kind of thing that could have happened from a fly perspective in that in that short period of time. Gotcha. And I, I guess, you know, if, if you get there, you're covering the deer, maybe you, you field dress it and everything. And there's maybe the area around the shot or, or there's a, there's a particular area that, you know, maybe it's got an odor to it or it just doesn't look right. You discard the whole deer or is there, I, I, can you well, salvage? You know, <laughs> salvage. You know, that's, it's always, it's a great question. And we get that question just, just a lot. Again, I think you have to, you have to look at and think about, you know, the fact is that, you know, if, if it gets to the point where, you know, there's, there's a lot of deterioration, there's a really strong smell that you'd want to do that. You know, I, and the thing that we, we, we talk about is with, with sepsis is the fact that once the, the animal has been shot and it continues to, you know, have a pretty severe infection, you know, you don't really know how far that goes through. So I think the thing there is just trying to use good judgment and just thinking about these kind of things in your head, like, you know, go up there and think about, you know, is this deer in good shape? You know, is it, you know, is there, is a smell really bad? Is it, you know, or does it look like I can, you know, maybe cut a good part away the meat and, and be safe? Because again, there's no, oftentimes there's no clear go, no go kind of thing. But, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to the knowledge and understanding what's going on within the process so that when you're looking at the situation, you can think about, these types of things and think about, all right, is it something that I have to worry about or not? Again, there's no, again, clear, like oftentimes there's no clear signs, but just trying to use some of those indicators for, you know, for that, you know, you open up the the, the cavity and it's just like, it's disgusting. It, that's a pretty good indication that it's like, this is not good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, probably best to err on the, the side yeah, of caution. If, if you don't and, feel and good just, about it, then. Yeah, and just use really good scientific thought behind it. Like, you know, what's going on in this situation? You know, how does everything look? What's the temperature been? You know, how long has it been down? You know, you know, is the deer in good shape? Are the internal organs looking like pretty good? Like, those types of things will help you to make a determination. Because in the end, you're going to eat it. And you don't, certainly, the person who's going to, you know, I should say, who shoots is going to eat it. So, you know, just making a lot of good judgment or using good judgment in terms of that, because you know, certainly you don't want it. You don't want it to affect you, but nor do you want it to affect anybody else that would would eat that product. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I think you touched on some of these earlier, but but what steps do we need to take? Okay, we, we we've shot our deer, we've recovered it in in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, what steps do we need to take during that field dressing process? to help kind of keep that meat as clean and, and safe as possible. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, um, you know, I guess, you know, using a clean knife, you know, making sure that you, you know, you get everything removed, you know, tying off the, you know, 
off off the off the anus, making sure that that doesn't become a you know, and, and cutting around that to make sure that that doesn't become a source of contamination. You know, getting everything you know pulled out with without getting it getting a lot of that, especially the intestinal intestinal material back onto the onto the meat or onto the onto the skin, and getting that removed out and getting you know. You know, again, having me, if you have a gallon of potable water, just take that, you know, wash that through and taking a nice clean, you know, cheesecloth or whatever, wiping that on the inside, you know, um, yeah, I don't, you know, just trying to be clean, not trying not to add too much moisture and then thinking about getting that animal, you know, cooled down as much as you can, you know, maybe spreading the legs out if it's cool enough to get you know, get some airflow into the, in, you know, into the, in, into the cavity of the, you know, where you, you cut uh, may, may be very helpful as well. Okay. Yeah. I know for years, you know, I, any deer I got home, the first thing I do is, is pull it out there by the garden hose and, you know, spray the inside of that chest cavity out. And you could do that, but just, you know, again, you just, well, after you do that, then, you know, try not to get like the, everything wet. Right. But then take a take a cloth and wipe it out, you know, and just get it back down dry, so that um, you know that you don't have a lot of excess moisture on there. And you know, do you want to sit there and spray it forever either, right? Like you know, just spray it enough to get to clean it, and then you know, again, wipe it down and, and get it nice and dry. And and you know, I, you know, no problem with the garden hose, but uh, uh, just just don't overdo it, nor uh, and. You know, again, make sure you dry it out afterwards. Okay, gotcha. What about okay? You, you've got the deer home. You've you've field dressed it and everything. Um, what about aging venison? That seems to be a, a kind of a long standing sure, debate on whether sure, that's necessary. Absolutely. absolutely. If you're if you're going to make hamburger out of it, you don't need to age it, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the things with that is you have to make sure you age it at at. You know, aging is is so funny, and we work with a lot of meat processors who you know who age who age meat. And one of the keys is keeping the temperature low, because if you don't keep the temperature low below forty, you're always opening the door for a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily want growing in your you know in your carcass. And you can get some you 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 know I've seen some some people that decide that they're going to age some steaks, and they you know they have you know it's too warm or whatever, and you know they lose a lot a lot of meat could you know, high priced meat. Same thing with, with the deer. If it's, if the temperatures are warm, you know, it's just, it's just not worth trying to, trying to age it. Now, certainly aging can provide some tenderness to it, but, you know, we want to make sure that the temperature is lower and it's going to be maintained for, you know, that five days or whatever that you plan to age that, that deer, Um, you know, and it's very difficult sometimes, especially in areas where, you know, maybe at night it's cool, but then during the day, the temperatures get higher. You know, and so you say you shoot a deer and it's like really cold out, you hang your deer and then you go to work and then you find out like you look outside, it's like 70 degrees outside. You know, It's like, oh, my gosh. You know? um, so it, it's always difficult to, to do that, especially in areas that tend to be warmer, uh, you know, to go through and do that. So, um, yeah, I, you just have to do that with a lot of caution because you could just you could waste the meat. You know, you can end up having some, you know, some really some bad deterioration of the meat you know, to the point where you get these, some of these higher, higher level breakdown products like putrescine and like the things that really cause it to stink, you know, they could, you know, they'll really upset your stomach, you know, to the point where you could feel really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
What's that? I mean, what's that aging process actually doing to to tenderize the meat? I guess what's what's actually yeah, so happening there's, there? There's a natural breakdown that's that's occurring within the meat that allows that to uh, you know to to tenderize. So the so the, the there's a natural breakdown of enzyme enzymes as well as to some degree you know some bacteria that are there that cause the the, the uh, that that carcass to start to to break down some of that the meat tissue that allows it to uh well, it starts to tenderize it basically but it's a slow and it's controlled you know so that it's not you know you're not allowing a lot of unwanted types of bacteria from growing uh you know in that you know in that product right okay so you want to keep it down below that 40 degree mark and uh it, so five, you mentioned you kind of throughout five days there is that is that a pretty good yeah uh, i think it's a pretty good pretty good thing you know some people go a little longer up to seven days but you know five days i think is, is a pretty good time frame but again i think one of the things you know that you just have to watch for is that you know that you don't get those higher temperatures during that you know during that time that time frame okay now what about and you, want, and you really oh, think one of the things you want is you want to let those natural enzymes that are in that tissue do the work you know because once you start to get a lot of bacteria in there you know and they as the temperatures get above 40 then you can not only get you know a lot of uncontrolled growth but you also then also have the the potential to have pathogens like salmonella and e coli grow as well just want to mention that as okay what about I don't know if it's got a name, uh, wet aging or whatever, but I, I see a lot of guys that'll throw their deer meat in a cooler on ice. Um, some of them will maybe you know pull the plug so as the ice melts, the the water itself drains off, and then they'll add more ice to the top of it. But they're they're keeping that meat on ice to to quote age it rather than hanging the deer. I don't know if that really does a lot. I don't think that that's I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> I don't think. I, you know, certainly keeping it cold is great, uh, but you know, then you're adding a lot of. Even though it, you're 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 draining that ice out, you know, if you don't have that ice in in a bag or whatever, that uh, that water is up against that meat, and um, you know, that's that's not a you know a condition that necessarily we want to have, because again, keeping it dry is a really important part of it. It helps to re- re- again keep some of the bacterial growth from. Keep you know uh, control some of that bacterial growth. You throw it on. You throw a carcass on dry ice, and uh, in a, and that carcass is warm. You know it's it's you know you're going to have the potential for for that. Now certainly some people do that when they you know they ship. You know they, a lot of times when you're shipping chicken meat, right? They they ship it ship it on ice as well. But um, you you know I think with with us and, and not having the controlled conditions in which like say a, a commercial processor does it you know we, we really want to try to limit that you know limit the opportunities for bacterial growth so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah the answer to your question i i don't think it's not a thing that i've heard especially from an aging perspective where that's going to have an impact on it uh, it may have a small impact you know but um i think you because you have a lot of moisture that's in there, you always run the, the risk of having some uncontrolled uh, uh, bacterial growth. Okay. 
So no benefit there. Don't 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 let it yeah, sit on ice for yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly yeah. better that than like leaving it out at, at at room temperature. But again, you know, if you are going to do that, as you mentioned, leave the drain plug open so that water it's not like laying in water. You know, we want to make sure that you know it's it's draining out away from the from the carcass. Okay, gotcha. What about the actual processing? process i guess for for those who maybe process their own deer um any steps or precautions during during that process to to make sure you know you're going to provide the best quality venison yeah you know i think the thing is is getting it done in in a in a way that again you you know just maintain the temperature at at the lower temperature um and then you know as you're going through and and you know processing that meat as you're doing the cut up is getting those cuts cut you know, and then packaged and, and put up, you know, in the refrigerator, uh, so that they're they're back cold, right? You don't want to like you know, do the all of the processing, uh, and especially if it's really warm outside and leaving everything set. You know, try to get it cut, get it put into the refrigerator as as soon as you can. So always thinking in mind that the fact that that temperature is going to be, you know, rising, and it's always good to start off. You know, if you've got the if you have the capabilities of getting it cold. To start off with it cold as you process it makes it a lot easier and especially if you're going to grind it you know because grinding is going to add some temperature to to that to that meat and so you know you want to make sure that you know that you're not you know if you got a warm product already and you run it through a grinder and then you know you're going to add more heat you're going to and you know you have to think about it doing that and keeping that product as cold as you can you know some people will you know um, you know, refrigerate it and get it down cold and then go through and, and process some of the, the, the cuts that they want through through grinding. And it's probably a good idea is to take that and you know, get those parts refrigerated, get them cold down, and then you can take them out and grind them. You take warm, hot, warm meat, grind it when it's warm. You know, you're just creating the opportunity for more bacterial growth within that. And we always have to think about that too. You know, when you're grinding meat, the fact that, you know, when you start off and you have whole cuts, uh, you know, the, 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 the contamination at that point is external, right? So it's on the outside. But once you take that meat and you start to grind it, now that you've taken that, those bacteria and you've moved them in internally, and you've also taken the, the tissue and you've kind of released a lot of the liquid that's there. So you're providing an, a more opportune situation for bacteria to grow. So again, trying to keep that cold as you're going through that grinding process will really be helpful in maintaining that um especially if you're making sausage or something like that you know and you know what that's you know and you if you either, you know you take that sausage if you eat it right away you know go ahead and freeze it you know if you're not gonna because again you've you've you know if you're doing it in a in a in a licensed facility you know you have better control over some of that but if you're doing it at home and you don't maybe you necessarily have the sanitizers and stuff that you're you know you're working with then you don't have the, the temperature control that you want you know, that meat is not going to last for a long time. So taking that and then go ahead and freeze it right away. And then you take, pull it out and then cook it. Um, but trying to store that for any length of time, you, you just don't know, right? Especially if you've got a high level of contamination there. And then you're trying to store that. Um, you know, you'd be really, you know, disheartened, I think, to pull out your, you know, your your sausage that you made and, 
your fresh sausage that you made and you're like, Ooh, it doesn't really smell very good. <laughs> you know, especially if you're holding it for two or three or four days in the refrigerator. So, um, I always think about that when you're getting ready to grind meat and then, you know, how, you know, how soon are you going to eat it? You know, how cold is the product to start off with? Can I get it colder? Cause just know that in your mind that when you grind that, you know, it's going to raise the temperature up a little bit and it's also going to cause some tear, um, you know, it's going to change the the condition of that meat that it's going to provide more opportunity for bacterial growth. Right. Yeah. And in, in my experience, you know, that getting that meat cooler to start with, not, not frozen, but, but cold. Oh, absolutely. Makes it easier to, to handle anyway. To, to makes it make easier to handle, cuts. makes it easier yeah. to cut. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You make it like, you know, like with jerky and stuff, you try to get that as cold as you can to the point of freezing because it, it makes your, 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 your cuts a lot easier. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't move all over the place, you know, just a lot easier to cut uh, from that perspective. Right. Well, while you mentioned jerky there, I guess that, that's one that I've, I've always wondered, you know, how, how do I know I'm, I'm getting this jerky? How, how do I know it's safe? Because you're typically, yeah. you know, using something that's not necessarily getting, you know, the temperature of the meat up to what you would normally, if you were just straight cooking it, Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, great question. Um, there's a couple things here that are important to, to recognize. I think one is the fact that, uh, you know, it, when you are going to make jerky, one of the things is that the product temperature has to get, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit of the science here just so we have an understanding. The, the temperature has to get up high while the product is moist. And so generally what we want to do is get that product up to 100, like 160 in that, in that range while it's still moist. What happens is this, is that as the product dries, and if it doesn't reach that temperature, the bacterial, especially things like salmonella, actually have increased heat resistance. So if you're, say, you're drying and at the same time that you're heating, and that product dries before it hits the temperature that you need, the salmonella are actually going to have an increased heat resistance in that product and are more likely to survive. And so in commercial operations for drying, they, they normally will, will have, um, you know, units in there to keep the moisture level sufficiently high uh, as they heat. And then that provides what we call is we call it lethality, right? It provides sufficient lethality to the bacteria that are there. But the problem is sometimes when people dry it, they dry it. And then as it dries, then it starts to heat and it just never gets to that point of lethality and those bacteria could survive. And so that you know, creates a big risk from a, from a pathogen perspective. So one of the things that we've done is here is at Penn State, they did some work with looking at, you know, a boiling marinade. Now I know people are like, oh my gosh, it's going to start to cook it. But, you know, hear me out on this. Is you don't have to boil it for a long period of time to the point where you cook it, right? Are you doing really with that is you're providing a surface application of heat to the outside of that meat. And then once you do that, you drop it in there, you can take it out and then you can, you know, you can put it into the, you know, into your, uh, um, into your dryer. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I know people don't like to do that, but on the other side of the coin, it's like the only sure, sure way to get rid of that. Another way of course is to, is not to start to dry it is to put it in the oven, you know, get that temperature up and, then you know then start to dry it you know then then put it in your dryer and then start to dry it 
I think the downside of that is it's, it's a little bit less controlled and it's done in an, in an atmosphere where, you know, you've, you've, um, may have exposed the external temperature to really a higher temperature. You know, if you have it in your oven and you're trying to get that temperature up to, you know, up to that 160 mark. So for the home person, you know, we've always suggested using that, like kind of that boiling marinade as a way to go through, you know, and you can make the, the marinade, you know, you can, you can pre, um, pre-marinate your product, right? You know, just put it in the marinade, let it set, get your bowl, make the same liquid, put it in a boiling pot, and then just dip your product in there quickly, like 30 seconds, pull it out, put it on there. And, you know, you can ensure that you're going to get rid of any external bacteria, you know, pathogenic bacteria from that, from that surface. But again, it's really hard for the person to know, like, and again, commercial operations that do, you know, that make these products, they have really good temperature moisture controls on that within that first part of the the drying operation so that they'll bring the temperature up they'll maintain moisture and then as it reaches temperature then they'll start to bring uh you know that moisture level down but you it's really hard to do that for the home person to to have that level of control right well that, that seems simple enough though so you're, you're just bringing your marinade to a boil and and dropping it in there for 30 seconds or so in that 30 way. seconds or so pull it out put it right onto your rack and then start to dry. I don't, I don't think there's any real big difference. You know, I, I do it like that. And I don't, you know, I think another thing with the, 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 other, the other thing that we'll, we'll talk about with, with drying is the fact that a lot of times it's really hard to know your moisture level. And we see a lot of times this happens with, with folks who, who go through and do jerky is you don't really know where you're, you know, it's really, how do you know, right? How do you know? And, and the term that we use, from a science science, you know, the science part of it is it's called water activity. And water activity is really the, describes the available moisture, how much moisture is available in that product. And then not only that, but we also worry about external moisture, you know, where you're, you know, where you're processing it at, like what kind of bags do you have it in? And so the problem is this, is that, you know, when you dry it, you have to get that moisture down to a point where there's, it's not going to support the growth of, and the biggest issue, of course, is mold. And so, you know, a lot of times when people do it, they don't necessarily get all the moisture out. They leave some of the moisture in there and they're like, wow, it, certainly it tastes better. You know, it, it's got a better taste, but there's too much moisture there. And that product will, will certainly mold after a certain period of time. And so, you know, they do it commercially, but when they do it commercially, there's a lot of, you know, they're basically taking that meat and they're, um, you know, they're, 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 pulling it into them, they're pulling that with chemical, you know, into the internal parts of the meat or they're injecting the meat so that there's a certain level of chemical in there that prevents any kind of growth. Uh, you know, when you're doing it at home, you don't really have, <laughs> you're not going to go through all of that. You know, and there's nothing worse than making up a big bag of, of meat and then you put it out on your, your counter and it starts to mold afterwards, you know. And so, you know, the two things there is you know, dry it down you know, make sure that, you know, we always say that it kind of cracks, you know, and, and to the point where the meat cracks when you when you cut it. Make sure it's thin, too. Don't, you know, don't thick cut it because then it makes drying so much more difficult. It makes it because you you'll get surface drying. And then once the surface dries, a lot of times pulling that internal moisture out becomes a lot more difficult. So, you know, make sure the cuts are thin enough, you know, dry it. And then we just say, you know, store the refrigerator. You know, it's it's until you're ready to eat it. That's going to help to extend that shelf life. It's going to help to extend 
uh, you know, prevent that mold from growing on the external part of it. But again, so many people call up and they say, oh my gosh, I, I you know, I went and I shot this deer. I made up like, you know, all of this jerky and it was out on the counter and it molded, you know, you get the mold on the surface. Like what's worse than that? You know, all that work that you went through and did. And um, yeah, so those are you know, a couple of issues that I think is, you know, one, you know, getting it properly dried and then two, you know, storing it so that you don't get uh, any kind of growth on the exterior parts of it. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever kept jerky long enough for it to mold. Yeah, I, I know. Usually I know. Eat it right? as fast yeah. as I make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's so good. Sometimes you just you just go through. It. But I think jerky is just great. I mean, so great with with venison. I think it's just you know, and there's so many different great you know companies out there that are companies that make great you know great marinades out there. And you know, it's always fun to go through and try them. And uh, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we have Conyager Spice Company that makes a bunch of different deer spices and. Uh, you know, we, we've gone through and tried a lot of those. They're, they're just, they're really just awesome, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just, it's fun and it's fun and you do eat it a lot. You know, you can go through and you, know, you can suck down a whole big quantity of it. Without, <laughs> yeah. Think of, and if you're going to do that, then it doesn't matter as much. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Hey, kind of jumping back here. Cause it just occurred to me as we were talking about some of this other stuff, but, um, the the damaged area as I'm processing a deer, maybe that area around where I actually shot it, you know, it's got the yeah. the the yeah, blood packets and always, stuff around yeah, it. Yeah, it's always best to cut that away, and and you know, people try to save like to save that. I, I just you know, there's just too much stuff going on there, right? You can have you can have lead from the bullet, you know, lead shards from the bullet that are there. You know, it's just not worth trying to save that, or you know, you have bone fragments and and all of that. And I think just cut it away and, and you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say, too, another thing, you know, we're talking about safety is, and, and I've always been a big proponent of this as well, which is canning of meat, um, you know, and, and pressure canning. And, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I, I just, I think it's such an underutilized uh, tool for for working with, with, with deer meat, uh, you know, to get, and it's so easy to do. You can go and, you know, you get a, you know, you get, you get those cuts of meat, like, you know, the hind quarters or all that, just really tough, you know, tough meat. You go through and you can that, you know, using a pressure canner, of course, you know, cut it up into cubes, put it into the, into the jars, put it through the, the pressure canner. That, that product will last forever, you know, and it's ready to go. And it's tender as all heck. You know, I think it's such a great way to, to utilize to utilize a deer without grinding it up into a bunch of hamburger, you know, and then you could use that in things like stew, or you could use it in in chili, or uh, in, you know, any place that you would use like a, a cube meat product, and it, it, it tenderizes it. That that heat tenderizes it to the point where, uh, you know, it, it's just so much easier to eat. And the other thing that it does is it takes away some of that really overly gamey flavor sometimes. You know, especially if you get an older deer that is, you know, kind of really gets that gamey flavor, you know, going through and, and, and canning that uh, is such a great way to, to utilize that meat and, and, and again, have it stored in a way that it's like low energy, right? You don't have, you're not filling up your freezer with, with product. It's in the can and it's ready to go. You know, you can take that, you can drop it in, you know, it's already cooked. So you don't have to worry about cooking it. You know, you can put it into drop it right into your chili or into your stew or whatever you're making, and it's like it's 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 just awesome. You know, it's just 
And I don't know. I, I, I just, you know, anytime that I have a chance to get, you know, uh, you know, can up some, some, some deer meat, it's just, it's just, it's just a great thing to have, you know? Um, so yeah. I just want to point that out. Yeah, that's that's great info. That is. Have you, ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever canned any? I have not. That's what I was going to say. I, I never have tried that. I've read some articles and stuff on it, oh, and, yeah. I, and I need and, to. I need to yeah, do it. But you need I to just, check that out. You need to check that out. And again, you know, one thing you want to do is make sure that you have a pressure canner, right? So you go out and you buy one of these, you know, pressure canners. You can get the the cheaper units for like eighty bucks. You can get the more expensive units for a couple hundred bucks. But um, you know, and you get some jars, and and the directions are pretty darn easy. You know, when you go through it, you can do a a cold pack where you just take the meat, cut it up, put it in the jar, you know, throw it with a little salt in there. You can put a little spice in there if you want to put a little pepper or whatever in there, you know, close up the jars, you know, put them in the, in the pressure cooker, you know, process it or whatever it is like 90 minutes or whatever. And then, you know, pull the jars out and then store them. And, you know, you're good to go. The, the hot pack method, instead of using just the plain cuts of meat, you'll actually brown the meat on the outside uh, you can, again, you can add spices onto that. You can make it, you know, pretty darn tasty, you know, cut, you know, brown it up, put it in the jar, add some hot liquid to the top of that. Again, close it up, put it in, in the pressure can or vent it, run the cycle, 90 minutes, boom. You know, you've got some, again, you know, some nice things. The, the, the hot pack method does give you some browning flavor to it, but the cold pack method is, is just so much easier to do. Um, uh, if, if you're in a hurry and you don't want to screw with going through and browning it up. Okay. And what, I guess, what is it, you know, again, I'm, I'm not that familiar with, with the canning process. So what, what is it that keep allows you to keep that meat out unrefrigerated and it not go oh, bad? Yeah, it's just like any like canned food, right? You've taken, it's like canned tuna now, essentially, right? You've gone through, you've canned it like you would commercially canned tuna or canned chicken, right? It just, once you can it, then it's, you know, it's in the jar. It's it's it's, just, it's shelf stable, right? Okay. You don't have to worry about it. So you're just—is it just the lack of oxygen in there? That no, well, lack of oxygen, back- and you've actually you've actually you've thermally processed it, right? So you've basically gotten rid of any kind of bacteria that would grow under normal conditions, right? So you've gotten rid of all the bad bacteria that are there, and they have spoilage bacteria. And again, it's just like a canned food at this point, where you know. Um, you know, just like you put a can of tuna on your shelf, you got you got a can of right. can yeah. of deer meat. You know, <laughs> and uh, I just no. think it's just just a great way, especially those tougher cuts of meat. You know, those tougher cuts of meat. A lot of times, you're trying to figure out, man, I just I hate to go through and, and just grind it up. You know, canning it is just a great way to to utilize that and then use it in a way that you can use it in a lot of different interesting ways. You know, again, you're making some kind of chili out of it, or you know. You know, again, and it's been fully cooked, and then it's it's ready to go. So you get, you have like a dozen jars on your shelf of you know about a pound each. Pull one out, just drop it into whatever you're making, and you know you can put it in your pasta, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely definitely gonna have to try that this year. That's that's yeah. gonna be on the the to do list to give that a try. Now, what about do you recommend freezing deer meat before you ever cook it? I mean, is it okay to if I kill a deer? Oh, to- oh, absolutely, yeah. You certainly you could freeze it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Freezing, I think before before you you know, I I think you could do either one. I think when you when you freeze it and it's fresh, um, I mean each one has its own thing. 
I mean, you're always worried about making sure that you wrap the meat in a way that's going to prevent surface drying. You know, they talk about freezer burn and freezer burn really is, is the drying of that surface, uh, especially if you've got a frost free refrigerator or freezer that is constantly, it you know, raises temperature a little bit to pull out some of the frost. But in a lot of cases, it also can cause some surface, can, can aid in surface drying of that meat. And so one of the things you want to do is when you have that meat is to make sure that it's wrapped in a way that prevents that, that, um, that loss of moisture. Uh, and then also, you know, bags are going to breathe, you know, or I shouldn't say breathe, they're going to allow oxygen transmission across it. So using a really good freezer bag or using a, a vacuum package, you know, type of thing that's going to help re- keep the air out of there and it's going to rest- rest- uh, restrict the amount of moisture loss, uh, you know, across that plastic barrier. Um, and, and those are important things to do. But I think another thing is important to recognize with freezing is that once you freeze it, it doesn't last forever. You know, as the longer it sets, you know, the, the, the packaging type that you have is still going to allow a certain amount of, amount of transmission of oxygen moisture across the barrier. So when it is in the, in the freezer, just know that, you know, you don't want to store it for two years or three years or whatever. You want to use it within, certainly within a year. You know, like they say, with 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 beef, certainly within six months, because again, the longer it sits there, the longer, the more opportunity. It's it's not going to get better, right? It's just going to continue to slowly over time, um, not be as good. And so, we want to make sure that we're using that in a in a in a judicious way, right? Using it so that we're using it before it gets to the point where it's like you open it up and it's like, well, that doesn't look very good, (laughs) you know. And using a really good bag or using a really good wrap around it, you know, like, you know, you get the, 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 the wrap, the paper wrap and, and, and that's fine. But, you know, if you're going to go for longer term storage, you want to have a better wrap on that, on that product. Okay. Gotcha. But what about as far as, I mean, is it, is it safe to eat deer meat that hasn't been frozen or, or do you recommend freezing before you ever eat it? I didn't know. Oh, 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 on that, on that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's any recommendation. I think as long as you cook it properly, that's really the key, you know, you cook it properly. So, you know, freezing, I think the freezing comes into the the standpoint that if you're not going to eat it immediately or within a certain few days, you're better off freezing it rather than leaving it, leaving it set fresh in your refrigerator. Because again, you're not controlling a lot of these, a lot of the uh, sources of, cross-contamination within your kitchen and so you don't know to what level you've you know you've gotten stuff on the outside of it you know and you just you don't want to be put in your refrigerator then like leave it there for like six seven eight days and pull it out like oh my gosh you know (laughs) you know it gets gets all slimy on the outside as you start to get some of the different types of yeast growth and mold growth or bacteria growth you know and at that point you've you've pretty much lost the product so it's either one of two things, right? Either you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to keep it fresh, utilize it right away, you know, and if not, just go ahead and, and freeze it uh, so that you, you'll have good, good product, you know? All right. And as far as, as far as cooking the venison, actual cooking of it, what, what do we need to do to, to keep it safe that way? Yeah, I think the thing is there certainly, you know, just, just getting it up to, 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 to proper temperature. Generally they recommend, you know, uh, cooking temperature of 165 
um, especially if you're going to go through it. Now, some people like to eat rare meat and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that, you know, you need to cook that up uh, as much as you would with, um, you know, you know, like say you're, you go out and you buy a, a commercially raised cow, right? You can eat that rare, medium rare, whatever, right? Because like you, the, the, the manufacturer, the processor of that has done a, a pretty good job in terms of, you know, controlling that uh, within the within the process. You know, controlling that within their process. But for the home for the home guy, like you know, if you're doing that, you know, they always recommend that, you know, cooking that up to the higher, you know, up to the higher temperature. Now that being said, if you wanted to cook something, you know, uh, like whole cuts of meat, you know, if you have the tenderloin there and you want to cook it on the on the lower side of the of that, um, you know. Just always keep that in mind, the fact that, you know, you've not processed this under, under, uh, you know, maybe the, the most ideal, ideal temperatures, you know. So, um, you know, just, just getting it up to, like, say, medium rare, 145 certainly would be, you know, you know, for the cuts or, or the steaks. But once you go through and you grind that, right, all of that meat now is on the internalized or all of the bacterial now are internalized. You know, we'd always want to cook those those ground meat mixtures up to the, you know, up to a higher temperature of 160 to make sure that we got, you know, we, we've gotten rid of any of the bacteria that would be there. Okay. Yeah. Anything, I guess, at, at this point, um, anything that we haven't covered that, that you think we might need to touch on as far as venison handling? No, I think I think it's a it's a lot of the things. You know, I think you know a couple of the real keys here, of course, is temperature control, right? From from the point where you know when you getting the temperature below forty as fast as you can, someplace within that within that scheme of things, you know, and knowing that as you get above that, you know, we start to get into the the place where we have the opportunity for bacterial growth. So you know, I, I think. The, I, I, I don't want people to get, you know, sort of go crazy, you know, like, oh, my God, I got this really cold. But just thinking about that, keeping that in mind, like, oh, my gosh, this, this product has been out for a while. Let me get it cold or whatever um, is, is really important. Um, and then on the cooking side, I said, you know, just making sure that when you go through and you're going to prepare it, because cooking is our is our really is our kill step. Right. That's the step that that gets rid of it. So, again, if you're going to grind that meat up and make burgers out of it, you want to get to that little bit of a higher temperature. Certainly, you can cook it for whole cuts, you know, at the lower temperature. Um, but just know how you <laughs> process that meat, right? And so, you know, you just just want to make sure that you're, uh, you know, you're not serving a bloody red, right? Because it's you don't know, right? You don't you don't know to what degree that thing. So it's a, it always takes a little extra precaution there. Um, and you know, I, I think another thing is just utilizing different, um, you know, there's so many different things that you can do. You know, when you when you you know, uh, you know, you make, you know, you, you utilize deer meat. I think, I think a lot of times people, I guess it always kind of bothers me because people will, will go through and they'll, they'll make it into hamburger or whatever, but there's again, a lot of opportunities like, you know, tenderizing it, you can get, you know, tenderizing, you know, uh, cuts of meat, making, you know, making, uh, you know, like a chicken fried steak out of it, you know, like where you go through, tenderize it, bread it, fry it. And it's just a great opportunity to utilize that meat in a different way. Canning meat, um, you know, utilizing some of the meat, like the tenderloin on the, on the deer, you know, it may not be a big tenderloin, but man, I, yeah, that, that's a pretty good piece of meat. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And if you, you know, you get that and you, you know, you cook that up, 
you know, you don't want to overcook that either. You know, uh, you know, you want to get that uh, and and cook that up. And that's just a great piece of meat. And, and, and again, when people grind that up, it just, it, it kills me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Definitely don't grind those up. For oh sure. yeah. Yeah. Oh. But a lot of the cuts, you know, a lot of cuts off the deer and, and, you know, can be utilized in ways and in, in different recipes that, um, you know, that I've had over the years. And I like, it's just, it's, it's amazing what, you know, what you can do with that or cook it up. And, you know, like these, these, um, uh, my, my wife has one of these, um, uh, what the hell they call it? Uh, Instapots, you know? Oh yeah. That's well, a little pressure cooker, you know, and you cook up, you cook up stuff in there. Oh, uh, you know, and it, it gives you some pressure, cooks under pressure and it gets you the temperature you need and it doesn't dry it out. Uh, again, it really is a great opportunity to utilize some of that, you know, making a, Say if you're going to make a roast or something, and you want it, you don't want it to be really dry. You know, you can do something like that in an InstaPot, and uh, you know, it really comes out. It comes out tremendous. You know, it really does. So yeah, yeah, it's really uh, sounds like it. It's just a whole process, basically, from the yeah, from the yeah. You make little, that shot. Yeah, you know, just a little investigation into <laughs> some of these different things. You know, as long as you're getting the basics down of of cool, you know, keeping the meat cold, you know, cooking it to the right temperature. There's a lot of things that you can do in there that, you know, can provide you some opportunities to utilize your, your venison and maybe in a, in a way that you hadn't done before. And, you know, instead of taking that whole thing and grinding it up, whether you're making some jerky out of it, you're canning it, you know, you're going through and you're doing a, a you know, maybe a pressure cook on it uh, in, in a, one of these uh, instant pot type of, of, of cookers, you know, just a lot of different things that you can do with your, with, with your venison. Um, and I think you'd be surprised at how, how really, how good it comes out. Yeah. Well, Martin, man, I really appreciate your time. I had you on here for, for over an hour now, and, uh, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, learned, learned a lot and definitely gave me, you gave me some things that I'm gonna, gonna try you this fall. Check out. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me, let me know if, if they come out or if they don't come out, you know, it's always, it's always good to know. Yeah, but I'm sure the listeners uh, will get a lot out of this as well. So I, I appreciate it. All right. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Dr. Martin Bucknavage. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to, uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there, uh, or you can just go to deerassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it. If you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review, you know, those both help us, uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So, we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Hey, you can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. 
if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends. Mm -hmm.